The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Book 2. The Earth Under the Martians. Chapter 3. The Days of Imprisonment. The arrival of the second fighting machine drove us from our peephole to the scullery. We feared that from his elevation a Martian might see down from upon us behind our barrier. At a later date we began to feel less in danger of their eyes, for an eye in the dazzle of sunlight outside our refuge must have been dark, blank darkness. But at the first the slightest suggestion of approach drove us into scurry heart throbbing retreat. Yet terrible as was the danger we incurred, the attraction of peeping was for was for both of us irresistible. I recall now with a sort of wonder that in spite of infinite danger which we were between salvation and still more terrible death, we could yet struggle bitterly with that horrible privilege of sight. We raced across the kitchen in a grotesque way between eagerness and dread for making a noise and strike each other and thrust a kick with a few inches of exposure. The fact is that we had those absolutely incomparable dispositions and habits of thought and action, of dangers and isolation only accentuated in competitivity. Hellerford had already come to hate the courage trick of the helpless explanation. His stupidity of mind, his endless muttering monologue, violated every effort I had to think out of a line of action drove me at times as pent up intensified almost of a verge of craziness. He was lacking in restraint as a silly woman. He would weep for hours to, together. I verily believe to the very end this spoiled child of life through his weak fears in some way effectuous. I would sit in the darkness unable to keep my mind off him by reason of his imprudence. Yet when I did, it was in vain I pointed out only chance of life was to stop in the house until the marshes had done with their pit. That the long pictures of a time ever to come when we would, we should need food. Yet and drank impulsively, heavy meals at long intervals. He slept little. As days wore on, his utter carelessness, any consideration so intensified the distress, and danger that I had, much as I loathed doing it, resort to frets at last the blows. Brought into a reason for a time, but he is one of those weak creatures, void of pride, diminish and to make hateful souls full of shifty cunning, who face neither man nor God nor man, but who face not even themselves. It is disagreeable for me to recall and write these things, but, it, but I set down, down, that my story may lack nothing. Those who might who have escaped the dark and terrible aspects of life will find my brutality, my flash of rage in our final tragedy easy, easy enough to blame if they knew what it, if they know what is wrong as well as any but not what is possible to torture men but those who have been under the shadow or have gone down at last to the elemental things We'll have a wider charity. Clarity. While within, we thought out our dark, dim concepts of whispers, 
snatched food and drink and gripping hands and blows that in a pit of sunlight of the terrible June was a strange wonder the unfamiliar routine of the Martians the pit and we turn to those first new experiences of mine after a long time of venture back to the people find the newcomers being forced by the occupants of no fewer free the fighting machines the last have brought with them certain fresh appliances it stood in an orderly manner about cylinder. The second busy machine was now complete. It was busy in serving one of the novel contrivances. The machine had brought it. The yes, body was only milk can, general form above, which oscillated a pear shaped receptacle, and which a stream of white powder flowed, circle base and below. The oscillating motion had imparted to this by one technical of the handling machine, the two spectacled hands, the engine machine was digging out and flinging massive clay into a pear-shaped receptacle above, while with another arm, Pretty opened a door and removed dusty and blackened twinks, because in the middle of part of the machine, and now a steely technical directed the powder at the base and along a ribbed channel towards the receiver that was hidden for me by the mound of blushed dirt. Dust from this unseen receiver, a little thread of green smoke rose virtually into the quiet air. I locked the hand of machine with a faint and musical clinking, extending telescopic fashion, tentacle, had been a moment before a mere blunt of projection, projection until it then was hidden behind the mound of clay. Another second, it lifted a bar of white aluminium sight and garnishes yet, and, and tarnishes yet. And shiny dazzling, dazzlingly, twisted in a glowing stack of bars that stood outside the pit. Between sunset and starlight, this dexterous machine must have made more than a hundred such bars of crude clay. A mound of blush dust rose steadily until it 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 toppled, topped the side of the pit. Contrast between the shift and the complex movements. These convenient triumphances, inert panting, scrumless, their masters acute. On the days I had to tell myself repeatedly that these latter intend the living of the two things a curate had possessed of the slit. When the first man brought to the pit, and sitting below, huddled up, listening with all my ears, he made a sudden movement backward, a fearful, he was reserved, crouched in a spasm of terror. You came sliding down the rubbish, crept beside me in the darkness, in that interpolate, gesturating. For a moment I shared his panic. His gesture suggested a resonation of the slit. And after a little while, across he gave me courage. I rose up and stepped across him, climbed up to it. At first I could see no reason for his frantic behaviour. Twilight had now come. The stars were little and faint. The pit was illuminated by a flickering green fire. Came for illuminated making, illuminated making. The whole picture was a flickering scheme, a green gleams of shifting rusty black shadows, strangely trained to the eyes. Over and through, though, it all went the back, hating it or not at all. The swirling, rolling Martians no longer to be seen. Man of blue green powder risen to cover them from sight. A fairy machine with his legs contracted, crumbled and 
abbreviated, stood across the corner of the pit. Then amid the clangor machinery came a drifting suspension of human voices that they entertained at first only to dismiss. I crouched, watching his fighting machines closely, satisfying myself now for the first time that the hood did indeed contain a Martian. As the green flames lifted, I could see this oily gleam of his indudiment, in- brightness of his eyes, and suddenly heard a yell and saw a long tentacle reaching over the shoulder of the machine, the little cage that hunched upon its back. Then something, something struggling violently, was lifted high against the sky, a black, vile, vague en- en- enigma against the starlight. As this black object came down again, saw a body of green darkness, black brightness, there was a man for an instant, he was clearly visible, he was stout, roadly, middle-aged man, well-dressed, three days before, he must have been walking the world, man of considerable conquest. He could see staring eyes, a gleam of light, he studs a watch chain, he vanished behind the mound, mound, and for a moment of silence, then began to shriek in a sustained and cheerful hooting. For the Martians, I stared down the rubbish, struggled to my feet, clapped my hands over my ears, and bolted in the scullery. Turret, turret, curate, who had been crouching slightly with his arms over his head, looked up as I passed, cried out quite loudly. My desertion of him came running after me. At night, to be lured in the scullery, balanced between our horror and terrible fascination, his peeping head, although I felt an urgent need. Of action, I tried his evade, conceive, and plan of escape. And afterwards, during the second day, he was able to consider our point position with great clearness. Correct, I found was quite incapable of discussion. This new and culminating atrocity had robbed him of the verges, of all the verges of reason of forethought. Practically, he had been had already sunk to the level of animal. But as the saying goes, I gripped myself fell with both hands. Grew upon my mind, once I could face the facts, the terror as our position was, there was yet as yet a justification for utter despair, as of despair. Our chief chance lay in the possibility, Martians laying a pit nothing more than a temporary campament, or even if they kept it permanently, they might not consider it necessary to guard it, a, a chance of escape might be afforded us. I also weighed very carefully the possibility of our digging a way out, a direction away from the pit, but the chances of them emerging from sight, some sentinel freight machines, seeing the first too great, I should have had to, I should have not to do, had to do all the digging myself, correct, would certainly have failed me. It was on the third day, in my, my research, me right, saw the lad killed, it was one occasion on which I actually saw Marshall's feed, I let my spirits, I avoided the hole in the wall, but I the part of the day, I sweat, went into the scurry, removed the door, and spent some hours digging with a hatchet at the side, like as possible. When I had made a hole about a couple of feet deep, loose earth collapsed so noisily. I did not dare continue. I lost heart, lay down the scurry floor, for a long time, having a spirit even to move, and after that abandoned altogether the idea of escaping by excavation. It was said as much for the impersonation of the Martians they had made upon me. At first I entertained little or no hope of our escaping. 
being brought about by the overthrow through any human effort, but on the fourth or fifth night heard a sound of heavy guns. Very late in the night, the moon was shining brightly, Miss Archer's taken away the escape machine, and save her fire machine, they stood in the motor motor bank of the pit, a hand voice that was buried out of sight in the corner of the pit, immediately beneath my hippie arm, places that by them, set for the pale glow for the handling machine, a bars of patches of white moonlight. The pit was in darkness and set for the clinking the handling machine, still quite still. And that was a beautiful sonority, save for one planet. The moon seemed to have a sky to herself, and I heard a dog howling. That familiar sound was that made me listen. Then I heard quite distinctly a booming, exactly like the sound of great guns. Six distant reports they found counted, and after a long interval, six again. That was all.